episode 34, Sacral Occipital Guru, and what's a vet Cairo? I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Dan Maddox's perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As always, it's a pleasure to spend some time with you each week. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, let me know. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I'm kind of lacking in that area right now. But today we have Dr. Dan Maddock, chiropractor, and he explores the sacral occipital technique. He's been a teacher for over 25 years. You could kind of say he's a guru. He talks about the importance of cranial adjustments, what is a diplomate of craniopathy, types of pelvic misalignments. And we also dive into veterinary chiropractic, which he learned a technique that I did a paper on back in my school days. We go through some treatment, red flags, an elevator pitch, and even have a fishing story at the end. I really hope you enjoy it. I think it's one of the first times we have a technique guru, a real passionate person about a specific technique on the show. So it's kind of exciting. So notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash three, four. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Today on the show, we have a great guest, Dr. Daniel Maddock. He is a diplomate of craniopathy, Sacral Occipital Research Society International instructor for 25 years. He has done a whole lot of pioneering and, and keeping the SOT system alive. So we're going to pick his brain today. How you doing today? I'm just fine. Thank you. And yourself? Doing fantastic. How about jump in? Let's let's find out way back why chiropractic and then kind of bridge into that story of um, how'd you get into the sacral occipital technique? I was attending classes at the University of South Florida, studying psychology with the intent to become a psychiatrist. During that time, I was working at the uh, county hospital in the psychiatric ward and taking classes in personality theories and theories of motivation. In my class, there was a man who was a chiropractor, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but he and I were both interested in the same girl. (laughs) We were standing outside waiting for her to come out, thinking she was going to go and spend some time with one of the two of us. She walked by, bid us a good evening, and jumped in a car with another guy and took off. He said to me, want to have a beer? I said, sure. So we went and had a beer and got talking, and he told me what he did. And I, you know, I was a student, probably 19 or 20 years old at the time. And I was driving back and forth between Clearwater and Tampa. And he invited me to spend, he had an extra room in his apartment. And so a couple nights a week, I stayed there. And we made it a pact where I would stay with him and I would take notes because he was a chiropractor. He was busy. So I took notes and he taught me how to study for the big school because up to then I'd just been in junior college. So I started studying with him and at the same time found out a little bit about chiropractic and started referring patients to him. And they came back thanking me profusely and they were getting better and they were so happy that I started getting interested in what he did and uh, got my first adjustment and it was an amazing experience. I'd never heard so much sound in my neck before, but (laughs) I felt great. And finally, I said to him, you know, I think I'm going to go to chiropractic school. And he looked at me and said, I know. I said, what do you mean? You know, And he says, I've been watching you and listening to what you say and realizing that you were interested in a more natural way, because as I was working the drugs 
that the patients were giving didn't seem to be helping them, and they kept coming back into the psych unit. So I felt there was a better way. Very good. And which school did you go to? I went to Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. At that time, the only chiropractic school, or the biggest chiropractic school. There were other chiropractic schools in New York and Cleveland and Atlanta, but Palmer was the oldest and the largest. And I said, you know, I could go to Texas. Texas has a chiropractic school. And my doctor friend said, no, go to Palmer. I said, but I could go to Atlanta. It's warmer in Atlanta than it is in Davenport in the winter. He says, go to Palmer. So I went to Palmer and he told me study SOT. So I went to Palmer College of Chiropractic and started studying sacro-occipital technique. Uh, my first quarter, I went and sat in the SOT class, which is a after-school class. And I sat in the back of the room taking notes. And the instructor, Dr. Otero, walked to the back of the room and says, who are you? And I told him, he goes, what quarter are you in? I says, well, this is actually my first day. And he says, you know, you're not supposed to take this class until your seventh quarter. And I said, my field doctor told me to come to Palmer and learn SOT. And he said, don't tell anybody you're here. And he let me stay the class. <laughs> uh, you know, why would they stop somebody who wants to learn, right? I guess. I didn't know what I was writing down, but I was learning fast. I hear that. I did the same thing with Activator. I was, I was like, how can I touch more hands and more, more bodies and things? And they're like, well, there's this club. You know, you can go do that. I was like, okay. Sign me up. Let's learn some stuff while we're here, you know? That's it. So was it immediate? Was it love at first sight? You just felt like um, going through school, nothing else really grabbed your attention as much as the SOT? Well, I was focused on the SOT. I learned Gonstead and all of the other techniques that I could learn. I took extracurricular classes. I met a man named Richard Versendahl, Dick Versendahl. And he developed a technique called contact reflex analysis. Are you familiar with that? Vaguely. Uh, it was a muscle testing technique. And I got interested in kinesiology and muscle testing. Got into SOT, took all of the SOT classes I could. By my last few quarters, I'd finished my clinicals and was teaching in the postgraduate school under Dr. Vern Hagen. Wow. So you got the, gurus, the guru bug quick. Absolutely. I, I studied. Pick the brains of everybody I could get my hands on. Wow. So our the podcast is going to have more than just chiropractors on. So when we, we say SOT, we're saying sacro-occipital technique. But, but what is that? Dr. DeJarnet, M.B. DeJarnet, was the founder of sacro-occipital technique. He was an osteopath and a chiropractor. And what he did was he took the osteopathic cranial techniques and developed a technique called sacro-occipital technique, which actually balances the body and prepares the body to accept the cranial adjustment, which makes for a lot less reactivity when the cranial adjustments are applied because the body is prepared to accept a cranial correction. Okay. And then why is a cranial correction uh, necessary at all? Well, if, if you look at people's faces, you notice distortions in the face. One eyeball is larger than the other. One ear sticks out more than the other. Their jaw swings more one side to the other. They have popping or cracking in the jaw. They have headaches that don't respond sometimes to spinal manipulation. And so I started learning about the cranial distortions, and I realized that 80% of the nervous system is housed inside the cranial vault. So chiropractic only accesses through the adjustment 20% of the nervous system. Not that that doesn't get wonderful results, but the addition of the craniopathy 
gave me a wide range of other manipulative techniques that I could use to help my patients. So that's a core part of the the SOT technique. And when you're evaluating a client, a patient, you know, maybe another another chiropractor might say, ah, oh, it's probably, you know, you're having headaches. That's probably a C1, C2, maybe just a, an occipital condyle or something like that. Do you cross that path first or do you go straight to thinking about all of the cranial bones and evaluating that I first? I start from the ground up. I look at the feet, make sure that there's not a asymmetrical pronation or foot pronation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I look at the balance of the knees. I look at the pelvis. The pelvis is where we like to start. In SOT, we have three categories of pelvic misalignments. Category two is a sacroiliac instability that causes lateral sway. When they're standing, we look at them from behind. We watch the way they move. Do they move from side to side? That would be a category two. If they move from front to back, that would be a category one. And if they lean one side or the other, or they lean right and anterior, that's an indication that they have an intervertebral disc bulge or a herniation, and that would be a category three associated with right or left leg sciatica. And SLT is uh, the the pyramid-shaped blocks, right, that you put underneath the hips? Yeah, we use the the pelvic wedges and a a flattened board with a padded board, and we use that to correct the rotational malposition of, of the sacrum and the pelvis, the innominate bones. And that's a very gentle manipulation. And we use uh, muscle testing techniques to evaluate the strength of the patient uh, to determine which side the weakness is on. We evaluate leg length and mm-hmm. rib head motion and other physical indicators that tell us where to position the blocks to correctly reposition the pelvis when i was in school we had a guy you know sot guy who was like he's always welcome for new students just go over there call him he'll teach you what he knows and and then one time he had a class it was kind of like a mini sot class because we didn't know much about blocking uh you know blocking with the wedges except for the basic stuff that we learned in class and he took us through i guess at this point his own version <laughs> as we do we, we uh, modify things and add things as we go and that's when i first learned about you know, if you got a, a you know a right short leg, the you know one block goes underneath the um, SI joint, and the other one goes underneath the, the the femur head. And depending on if they have sciatica, you you know face down, face up, you put them in different positions. That's all part of the SOT kind of protocol, right? That's correct. Why by, by using the indicators, we determine whether they need to be blocked in the supine posture for category two. If they're fairly stable, we block them face down. If they're category one. And if they have a sciatic problem, we block them face down with a different block position to correct the sciatica. Ah. So would you say a lot of people use those? I use those blocks sometimes when someone's, um, when they lay down and they're just, their back is really just kind of hurting and they just can't get comfortable. And you put the blocks in a certain way based, you know, based on um, just short leg. And ah, they get that immediate relief from just the stress of the muscles in the spine. I'm guessing that's a pretty uh, rudimentary way to, to really use those wedges. Well, you're, unlike, you're unlikely to hurt anybody as long as you go by the indicators. Category mm-hmm. two indicators, of course, are unilateral rib head motion. If you look at the patient from behind and have them nod their head up and down, usually you'll get a right or a left rib head motion, and usually it's on the left. Most people are a left short leg. They'll have a sartorius tenderness at the medial knee on the short leg side, tensor fasciolata and iliotibial band tenderness on the opposite side. They'll have a fourth cervical tenderness and usually an occipitomastoid tenderness on the same side as the short leg. Oh, now is that that's something you learn through practice or that's pretty that's just something that um, can almost be taught in the seminars because it's just so common? 
That's what we teach. I was not aware of that. That's pretty cool. How often do you all have seminars? Uh, we have two main seminars, uh, one in the spring, and the next one's coming up in Denver, Colorado in October on the 18th. And there's uh, certifications that way if, you, if you're really into uh, the SOT technique that you can refer to somebody in another city, another state that you know has the same qualifications? There's basic certification, there's advanced certification, and then you can become a certified craniopath. And after you've taught for so many years and submitted so many papers, then you become a diplomat in craniopathic techniques. And that's what I am, DICS, Diplomat of the International Craniopathic Society, which is a separate organization from SORCI, which is Seiko Occipital Technique International. There's technique, there's organizations worldwide. There's We have what's called SOTOs, Seiko Occipital Technique Organization Europe, Seiko Occipital Technique Organization Australasia, which is Japan and Australia. There's SOTO Brazil, SOTO South America, and I've taught for all of those organizations Long plane rides. Yeah, those are long. For the, chiropract- for the chiropractic students out there, or even the practitioners who uh, either maybe they don't feel like they're getting the results that they used to, or always felt like there was something missing, why would someone choose to do SOT versus uh, you know vanilla diversified or uh, an activator or um, biophysics, chiropractic biophysics? Why would they choose SOT? Dr. Desjarnet and his staff of researchers was amazing. And I have studied many other techniques, uh, but my basic technique is always SOT because scientifically and results-wise, it makes sense to me. If you go to a different practitioner, do some focus more on the cranial part and some focus more on the sacral part? Are they kind of like allowed to have that kind of uh, favoritism in the different areas or there's a protocol and you just stick with it? Well, we follow the basic SOT protocol, which leads you into the cranial techniques and the, and the series of cranial corrections. And Dr. Desjarnet has written multiple books on cranial technique. Uh, and there's also other doctors, osteopaths. Dr. Kaitau has written multiple books on cranial manipulation. Uh, Dr. Gayen from France, who is a etiologist, has some wonderful techniques in his book, and so what I did and what I'm working on is developing my book on isocranial technique, which is using isometric resistance against the patient's head movements to help to correct the cranium. Dr. Desjarnet developed a technique called sutural technique, which is a technique applied with the Category 2 once we get the Category 2 pelvic misalignment stabilized to open up the cranial vault. And, and it's an amazing technique. And the isocranial technique just adds to that procedure. Mm. And that's something that you've developed over the years? Yes, sir. If you go to uh, Maddock Chiropractic Clinic on Facebook, I have put videos on so that people can start to learn about the techniques. Or you can go to Sacro-Occipital Technique International Sources, Sacro-Occipital Research Society International on Facebook. And I've published several techniques and procedures there. SOT is also uses chiropractic manipulative re- reflex technique, which is developed from Dr. Desjarnet's soft tissue techniques, which were originally called bloodless surgery. And hmm. so we also do a lot of in- inner organ, internal organ techniques, liver techniques, adrenal techniques, stomach, gallbladder, small intestine, large intestine. All of those are included in the CMRT procedures. Okay. All right. You mentioned some research. Is that 
like uh, more like a case, like case studies from what you guys see in the in the clinic or papers they're all coming up with? Um, there's a lot of bit different papers that have come up with a stable uh, analysis of the cranial vault. And Dr. Mark Pick, uh, who is out of California, mm-hmm. teaches a class and he has done research and published papers with uh, his cranial procedures that he has done while a patient's in the MRI machine. Oh. It shows the expansion and the, the changes in the flow of cerebral spinal fluid in the uh, cisternae and in the ventricular system as he does the cranial techniques. And he also did a paper where he shows the uh, movement of cerebral spinal fluid through the sacral system during a manipulative procedure under CT fluoroscopy. What what does the CSF movement have to do? What does that what does that matter? Well, the, the basic premise of craniopathy and SOT in particular is that what we're trying to do is enhance the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. Cerebral spinal fluid is reproduced about five to eight times a day. You have you produce about eight hundred milliliters of cerebral spinal fluid a day, uh, but there's only about one hundred and fifty circulating in the system at any one time. The reason for that is because not only does the CSF cleanse and protect the brain, but it also supplies the sodium, potassium, and chloride balance necessary for the action potential, which is the communication of and function of the nervous system. Okay. And this allows it to bathe all the nerves and the spinal cord, and, and does it help produce more fresh CSF to get circulated like quicker? Right. Remember that the brain is encased in a sac okay. called the dura, and the outer layer of the, the, the meninges, there's three layers of meninges. The outer layer is the dura, then you have the arachnoid, which is a spider-like vascular layer, spider-web vascular layer, and then you have the pia mater, which attaches intimately to the surface of the spinal cord in the brain, and it covers the entire brain and down the sacrum and forms the phylum terminale where the the brain attaches in the second sacral segment. Mm-hmm. So that that's a tension membrane. We refer to that as a reciprocal tension membrane. The sacrum moves into flexion as the cranium moves into extension, and then vice versa, as the sacrum moves into extension, the cranium moves into flexion, and that back and forth movement is what moves the cerebral spinal fluid. Okay, and that's what's gonna—that's what he was actually able to show, like on a CT and an MRI. Right. Wow. Was that recent? It shows the sacral well filled with CSF, or in this particular case, filled with the enhancement fluid, and then mm-hmm. as it changes, it flows back up again. So you can see the be- the ebb and flow of the CSF. Wow. That's that would be. A- That'd be really cool to see. What about, um, you mentioned a lot of the organ stuff. Would that be one of those uh, controversial, even within chiropractic, would that be like a controversial procedure that um, that SO2 people do? Or is that pretty standard? Uh, I don't know about any particular controversy. It just helps to drain the, uh, the liver sinusoids. You have two filters within the liver system that it helps to clean out the liver. We help the flow of bile out of the gallbladder help mm-hmm. the flow of intestinal substances, you know, the waste material and the, and the, the food that's being absorbed. Uh, yeah. A lot of people have irritable bowel syndrome and have, you know, toxic colon problems. And so we help to clean out the colon. Of course, we use nutritional things to help that along with it. Okay. But uh, we have the liver CMRT and the liver pump, which we use to clean out the sinusoids of the liver. And we have 
techniques that we use for distraction of the stomach away from the diaphragm and to release the diaphragm. We have so muscular these are manual techniques. motions. Yes, they're manual techniques, but then we also use contact reflex points. Okay. And are you finding now this is the stuff that I think um other professions when they when they hear about this, they're like, What is going on with these chiropractors? But what type of results you know, are patients coming in specifically for these things or do you find them and talk to them about it and then they report back later that this is actually cleared up or this is feeling better or my bowels are better or whatever? Like, uh, kind of talk, talk us through that a little bit. Well, I, I get a lot of patients that come in with those problems because of other patients and word of mouth. Uh, on my Maddox Chiropractic Clinic Facebook page, there's one testimonial on there where a woman came in, she'd seen other chiropractors and they didn't help her. And some of them caused her some difficulties. And so she came to me because she was referred by another chiropractor who said, uh, I won't see you, but go to Dr. Maddock. He's better than I am. <laughs> so she came in and she had a hiatal hernia. And we started working with the hiatal hernia and she got all kinds of results from it. Uh, as far as we did the stomach techniques and pulled the diaphragm and the, the stomach down away from the diaphragm, and she got a lot of relief from that. If it corrected it, I don't know. We'd have to do a you know x-ray and a barium swallow to find out if it corrected it. But right. it gave her a lot of relief, and she was very happy. And that's kind of named the name of the game sometimes is you had X, Y, and Z symptoms, and those are now gone. Some, <laughs> we don't know exactly why sometimes, but if it helped... That's a really a good thing. Do you have any, uh, are there any misconceptions, you know, especially speaking to other chiropractors about the SOT technique or maybe chiropractic as an entire profession? Are there any misconceptions that you, uh, you hear a lot that you'd like to dismantle right now? I deal with a lot of patients. You know, most of my patients come in with neck pain, back pain, headaches, vertigo. Uh, they come in with extremity problems. In SOT, we deal with extremities as well, wrists elbows, shoulder problems, knee problems, ankle problems, hip right. problems. And so SOT also has techniques for the extremities. Uh, when a patient comes in, we evaluate them and discuss their problems with them. And we start making corrections according to what we find. And what, what was it they used to teach us in chiropractic school? Find it, fix it, and leave it alone. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty funny. Is there anything that you would say like patients ask on a regular basis about uh, whether the technique that you do or what to expect, like some real, like some of the concerns that they have? Well, most of them have either been to other chiropractors, and when I get done, they say, well, my other chiropractor never did any of this. And I say, well, this is what we do in SOT, and this is going to make a lot of changes in your body that sometimes just spinal manipulation can't make, or they'll say, well, I've never had that kind of adjustment before, or uh, my chiropractor doesn't do anything on my head. And so people that have been to other chiropractors just kind of scratch their heads when they're leaving and say, oh, my God, this is so much different. <laughs> but then uh, what type of um, treatment plan are we talking? Is this is this like a within a couple of weeks they, they feel better? Or does it take a couple of months to see results with SOT? Well, needless to say, the first thing we want to do is address the problem that they come in with. Right. And get them out of pain and explain the process to them. With SOT, there's kind of a continuum. Is Category 3 is probably the worst, where the pelvis is completely locked up, and they have a sciatic problem, or they have a spinal tilt, and their pelvis is just not moving in relation to the sacrum whatsoever. Then there's Category 2, where there's hypermobility, 
And once we stabilize that, what we like to get them into is category one, correct the category one procedure, go through the category one techniques, which involves the internal organ techniques and their specific cranial techniques for each category. And so we try to move them through. And once they're pain-free, we try to explain to them, as you probably remember, the iceberg technique where the problem is like an iceberg. The pain is just what's above the surface. The problem is still, the biggest part of the problem is still below the surface. And we have to correct that. And so I've had patients that have been coming to see me for 30-some years now. And Mm -hmm. They come in, they get better, and then they have some other problem, and they come back and get stay until they get that fixed and then move on. Well, they also say there's maintenance involved where uh, – I was just reading something the other day. Every three weeks for nine months, and those people didn't get the chronic – whatever they were suffering with before didn't come back. But for those who didn't do anything, eventually it came back in the nine months. So there's kind of like a, a maintenance proponent that you would be a part of for 30 years for some people. I don't like the M word. Oh, what do you call it then? wellness care oh wellness care okay let's yes, let's we, fix that then i tell them here your problem is fixed you're feeling good let me check you again in a month let me get check you again in six months whatever i think depending on the age of the patient and the problems we're dealing with and you know you have to deal with third-party carriers and you have to tell them that you know your problem is fixed now from here on out you're going to be on a wellness program you're going to come in every once in a while you have to realize that if you come in and you're not having a, you know, you're not having symptoms, but we're just checking you out. That's wellness care. I can't bill that to your Medicare or your health carrier because the American health system is set up on fixed problems until they go away, and then that's the end right. of it. They don't keep covering. So you have to kind of convert them to a cash basis system where you come in, you're going to have to pay for the adjustment yourself because it's on a wellness basis. But if you have a new incident, if you have a car accident or you have a slip and fall or you hurt yourself in some sports activity, then it becomes a new process and a new procedure that then we can then bill to a third-party carrier. I'm glad you you cleared that up because I know some people are probably going to have that type of question and you just took care of all those types of concerns. So I appreciate that. When, when someone's uh, in school or maybe they just got out of school and they're really struggling in, in practice, do you have any practical tips to help them succeed? Well, when I started out, I created a questionnaire. This was recommended to me by Dr. Peter Fernandez. Uh, I made up a questionnaire and I went door to door and knocked on doors and talked to people. Uh, join organizations, join Rotary, join Chamber of Commerce, join networking groups. There's BNI and NPI, and you have to get out and meet people. You have to let people know who you are and where you are and what you do. I ha- mm-hmm. You have to develop an elevator speech. You know what that is? I, I do, but tell people who don't. Well, my, my elevator speech is uh, when I get up in front of a group of people, I just say to them, Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Maddock, chiropractor extraordinaire and legend in my own mind. I'm certified in advanced techniques for correction of neurological dysfunctions associated with the human spine and cranium. I'm also certified in veterinary chiropractic, so if it's canine, humine, feline, or equine, if it has a spine, I'll put it back in line to make it feel fine. Oh, I like that. You got some rhyming going on and everything, some hooks. So it's a 30 to 30 second to a minute summary of what you do that will be memorable and uh, obviously explain that what you do. So hopefully the person will walk away saying, oh, I understand and I want more information. Well, and not only that, but then when you join these groups, you get to be the speaker. Everybody mm-hmm. alternates and you become a speaker and you get 
30 minutes to show what you do, explain what you do, demonstrate what you do, and tell people about chiropractic. That's true. And they meet, so like BNI, they meet every week. So those are one of those big, uh, the big points that you would say is, is, is crucial is getting out there and actually being involved with your community and with other business owners. Absolutely. I did some pro bono work. I used to do uh, work with uh, the migrant workers here in Tampa. And mm. I went out there one day and I was treating some of the migrant workers. And uh, this grandmother brings her granddaughter over, a beautiful girl, about 14 years old. And she had pain in her hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And I said, hmm, I don't know what's going on here. So uh, I took her into, uh, I brought her into the clinic and I ordered some blood work. And I ordered the uh, rheumatoid, the ANA titer, and the uh, SLE bodies. And it turned out she had serum lupus erythematosus. Oof. So I referred her to a osteopath in my area. And he said, who are you? And I, to him, who I was. And he looked at me, or he, he I was talking to him on the phone and later developed a long-term relationship with him. But he said, I know medical doctors that would have missed that diagnosis. He was on it, man. Well, you see, you see a lot of strange things come in and you have to know when it's chiropractic and when it's something else. I had a patient come in one time that he was in pain all over and he was under the care of a sinus specialist. Mm-hmm. And I checked him out and did the basic neurological examination and found out his, uh, Cranial nerves were not functioning. The abducens and the rhizorius muscle was only working on one side. I sent him in for an MRI of the brain and found out he had a malignant lymphoma at the base of the brain. And the sinus specialist was treating him for sinus polyps. Oh, man. You never know what you're going to find. That's it. I'm sure you've had cases like that. Yeah, I had a guy who came in with the classic, oh, my arm's kind of tingly. It's not the first time, you know, you've you've seen that. And uh, he just had that pale look to him, kind of sweaty. And it's like, you don't look so good. So um, ended up getting a uh, couple of stents or a bypass put in the next week or sure. the next couple of days. I was, you know, you know we, we don't see it a lot, but when you do see it, it makes you remember, this is why we went to school. This is why we studied all this pathology and physiology and all these other things that, you know, we don't really see a lot, but you have to be able to recognize it. Otherwise, bad things happen or you, people just don't get better. Like he's like, that's uh, lupus or, you know, a bad blood vessel. There's a girl on my Facebook page uh, right now. She's She came in for lower back pain, and I ordered lumbar x-rays, and the x-rays looked great, except there was just a little white haze over the liver. And I looked at it real close, and I called the radiologist up, and I said, I want you to look at these x-rays again. And I said, look, look at the liver. And he saw it was like a little haze of smoke, like when you walk into a room and it's just a little mist of smoke where people have been smoking. And uh, so we ordered a CT scan. It turned out she had a tumor in the liver. Mm. And uh, we sent her to her primary care doctor who sent her over to Moffitt Cancer Center. And uh, they watched it for three months and they end up taking 20% of her liver out. Wow. And the radiologist didn't even see. I took the 300-hour course in radiology. And anybody who's starting out, I recommend they get a, a board certification. Take, take the radiology course, take the orthopedics course, take the neurology course, get as much information as you can, be the best doctor you can be. Agreed. Out-doctor the other doctors. <laughs> That's right. I mean, those people are very thankful for you. I mean, if somebody missed it and you caught it, that's that's huge. I mean, that's what, you're, guy, that's what you're there for. I checked this one guy that came in with a torticollis, and I checked him out. And I did the re- tapped on his patellar reflexes and got nothing, so I 
took x-rays of his neck and his low back and he had metastatic cancer all through his lower pelvis and uh, if I hadn't followed up on the I said I'm going to take x-rays of your lumbar spine why doc I can't get a reflex in your legs and when I looked at it I said oh my god yeah I don't want to tell you these bad news right now uh so what do you say with the there's a push out there that says you don't need to x-ray everybody because it's probably not going to show anything of clinical value in your neck but then if you don't adjust if you don't uh, x-ray them and you adjust and something happens then you got your license on your line on the line so uh, what do you say definitely x-ray every patient uh before you adjust them just to clear them of of spinal issues and and cancers I x-ray probably 90% of my patients, you know, okay. especially the elderly because they come in, they've got, you know, bone spurs, they've got foraminal narrowing, the oncovertebral joints are hypertrophied, the ligamentum flavum may be thickened. Uh, if they have a restricted range of motion, uh, if they're in a, in a traumatic injury, yes, absolutely. If there's some kind of neurological reflex or something that doesn't work properly, absolutely x-ray them. Uh, do, you, do you find it matters? Do you change your technique if you see uh, facet joint hypertrophy or a lot of DJD and these thick bone spurs? Is that, does that actually change how you uh, treat people? I do, I do a lot of soft tissue work. I do a lot of traction work. I use a Cox table. Okay. In, in conjunction with blocking techniques, um, if they're really severe, I have activator techniques right. that I use. I also use an impulse. Are you familiar with the impulse adjusting instrument? I've converted over to impulse. I, I love them. Yeah, that and the uh, vibrocussor uh-huh. for muscle work and loosening things up. I love the vibrocussor. I have a thumper. Yeah. So you're not a one-trick th- pony then? Oh, whatever, whatever needs to be done. It's make the patient well and get them well as fast as possible. Very nice. You don't, you don't want to. I've had patients that have been going three times a week for three years to the same chiropractor and going, "Well, shouldn't you be well by now?" You know, there was something on uh, one of our uh, Cairo Sushi group. Somebody was uh, a big name podcaster was hating on a, a on chiropractic, and I just was wondering, was like, as a patient, at what point do you have to say to yourself, "Maybe I should try somebody else"? If you've been going to somebody for a year. And you really aren't but 25% better than when you started? Like, at what point do you have to say to yourself, I need to try a different doctor? Well, I had a patient walk into my office about two years ago, 54 years old, using a walker. Okay. And she'd gone to another chiropractor for about six weeks, didn't get any better. Uh, She'd been to a medical doctor who did an injection in her sacrum and lumbar area, didn't get any better. And she went to her primary care physician who gave her, you know, the standard painkiller, muscle relaxer, anti-inflammatory regimen. And she went to a massage therapist and he sent her over to me. I saw her on Thursday, did the category two blocking, came back in Saturday, wasn't any better. The pain was in the sacrum area and they'd done an MRI of the lumbar spine, which showed a little bit of degeneration, but no foraminal narrowing, no disc herniations. So I said, there's something else wrong here. So I ordered a CT scan and an MRI of the pelvis, and the radiologist called me up and said, what are you looking for? Nobody ever orders a CT and an MRI at the same time of the pelvis. And I said to him, I don't know, but here's what I got. And he ran both tests, and two hours later they called me back and said she got osteomyelitis of the pelvis. Oh, man. She ended up on IV antibiotics for a month. Then she had to have a heart valve replaced because they 
been so long treating it and didn't find out what was wrong and it destroyed a heart valve. She ended up with liver problems, but she's alive today and I ended up having to testify because she ended up suing all the other doctors. That's true, though. I mean, wow, we... Well, you end up probably, in court sometimes. Yeah, you do. You want to be on the uh, the positive side of that if you can. <laughs> I would love to ask you, the vet stuff is really interesting because I've looked into that personally. Uh, back in school, I did a paper on on animal chiropractic, I believe with the, with the certification that you have. But that works pretty good, though. If you go to Facebook and look at chiropractor for pets, three words, chiropractor for pets, F-O-R, you can see the videos. As a matter of fact, we had one where the local newscast, uh, Channel 13, came in and did a special on us because there was a dog that was paralyzed in the rear end. They took her over to Home Depot and they made a wheelchair for the dog. Oh. So then they came, they brought her in to me. One of my patients said, well, why don't you take her to Dr. Maddock? He does veterinary chiropractic. And so they brought him in and Wally, his little rat terrier by the name of Wally, we did video on him the first day. And he was completely dead in the rear end. And within five adjustments, he was up and walking again. So they came in and did a special on us. And that's on that page along with several others. Well, it's hard to get a placebo effect on, a, on an animal, right? Uh, well, you, what you're dealing with is the nervous system. But you're dealing with when you contact the body. Uh, have you ever read Bruce Lipton's book on, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's uh, a book on uh I think it's the biology of belief. Okay. And what he talks about is, is that they take out the nucleus of the cell and the cell still survives. And what his basic premise is, is that it's the cell membrane that carries the information to the brain. So you're contacting the skin, you're contacting the membranes of the bone, you're contacting the membranes of the nervous system, and you're changing the body not only on a neurological but a molecular level. Mm, okay. When you when you talk about uh, that... Is that something that's in every state, a special test, a special certification to do animals? And do, does every state allow that? I'm not sure about all the states, but I think so. Uh, chiropractors have been adjusting horses. And the first one I ever had was an attorney who called me up. She had a Doberman pincer who was supposed to perform in a dog show that weekend, and he was walking sideways. So oh. the veterinarian gave her the x-rays. She brought the x-rays to me. I looked at the dog looked at the x-rays, and I did a toggle recoil on second cervical. The animal stood up, walked straight, and won the show that weekend. On a dog. Wow. Is it true that in horse racing, they can't get adjusted the day before or the day of because it's considered an unfair advantage? Did I hear that, or did I make that up? I've never heard that. I practice veterinary orthopedic manipulation. If you go to uh, www.vomtech.com, it was developed by... It was developed by a veterinarian, Dr. Oh. Bill Inman. I took his class, and I was blown away. This guy has more chiropractic philosophy in his little finger than most chiropractors I know. Watch out. Is it instrument-based or is it manual-based? We use what's called a spinal accelerometer, which is a specially designed activator. Okay. And we also use the vibrocussor. We use cold laser therapy. Uh, we use uh, the uh, impulse yeah. Or something, we use the uh, arthrostim, if you're familiar with the arthrostim. Absolutely, they're all uh, rapid-firing pulse guns for adjusting. Yeah, it, it's much easier. If you're going to adjust a big animal, I, I taught veterinarians this technique down in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh. And this is a bunch of women that do manipulation. 
and they go from ranch to ranch and they are beating them. They have shoulder problems, neck problems, wrist problems, because they're all trying to do these hard force manipulations on big animals. And I showed them this technique and they were just blown away at the results and the fact that they weren't killing themselves to do it. Well, I'm surprised like a big horse doesn't kick you in the mouth for doing this to him. But is there, they, they teach like you how me. to like approach them? Yeah, they, they, they lean on me. They're like, they're like my great Dane. They lean all over you when they, you're making them feel better and they love you for it. <laughs> Watch out. Oh, my goodness. Do you think that a chiropractor could transition into only adjusting animals and make a solid, a solid living doing that? Or would that be pretty tough? It depends on who you get to know. And uh, I had a lady call me up last about two weeks ago, want me to come over and adjust 15 horses. That sounds so that's like a, a busy nice day. afternoon. Yeah. That's a busy afternoon. My goodness. All right. All right. You sound like a, a, a um, an older gentleman who's been around for a while. I'm guessing you've had um, your share of staff members. Do you, do you have any hints on how to hire good staff and how to keep them around? Um, yeah. Find, find out what their qualifications are. Uh, find out what their experience is. Do a background check. Did you learn now in the hard way? Always do a background check. Yeah, I found out the hard way. Okay. So, uh, and make sure that no one signs your checks but you. Oh, I had okay. a staff member write herself while my mom and dad were dying and, you know, going through their end-of-life procedures. I was pretty distracted, and I had a staff member write herself about $12,000 worth of checks. We had mm-hmm. her arrested on 58 counts of forgery and grand theft. That sounds fair. Almost put me out of business. Yeah, man. That's a that's a lot of money, and especially if it just keeps it's a slow drip. You just notice things aren't quite making the the payroll or, or the budget that you expected, and you just don't know where the money's going. Well, I'm afraid my accountant dropped the ball on that. I, it was almost a year before they finally figured out that the signature on the checks was not mine. My goodness! So background checks, sign your own checks. That's good information. <laughs> Outside of kind of going back to this question real quick, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here soon. But um, any other marketing that you've noticed? in the last few years that's worked really well to keep your new patients coming in and, and maybe even just internal marketing to keep the ones that you've had coming back and staying satisfied? Um, I've tried years ago. We tried the free ads that didn't work very well. You know, free spinal exam. I've seen doctors offer free adjustments, uh, come in, get a free x-ray and a free adjustment. Personally, I feel that if you're offering something for free, you devalue it. Correct. I, I think the best marketing is word of mouth. Get your patients to tell other people. Uh, get them to give you a rating on Google because internet is where it's at right now. Internet advertising, and you know, get a get a Facebook page. Make up a good Facebook page. Put lots of information on there. Uh, get people to go to your page. Invite people to like your page and get testimonials, videotape testimonials from your patients that are happy with you, and post it. Be sure you have them sign a release that gives you the permission to use their video. And if you go to the Maddox Chiropractic Clinic on Facebook or Cairo for Pets, you can see the testimonials that we've put up there. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that speaks volumes. Get yourself a good website and post those on your website. My website is drdanmaddock.com. Okay. All lowercase d-r-d-a-n-m-a-d-o-c-k.com. Check it out, people. So, Need some nuggets from this guy. You know, you need a good website, you need a good social media, get on Twitter, get on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a true statement. What You've been in practice for a long time. A lot of chiropractors, maybe a lot of doctors in general, business owners, when you have your own clinic, 
it's really hard to take vacation because of a multitude of reasons. Uh, looking back in your career and looking back in the last couple of years, have you found a way to take more vacation or the appropriate amount of vacation that you would like? I My vacations are wrapped around my teaching. I taught for uh, Soto Australia. I flew to Australia, spent some time in Australia. Uh, I taught in, in Europe, in uh, England, and traveled England for a while. So I try to combine my teaching and my vacation time at the same time. Otherwise, I just take long weekends. Okay. All right. Very good. What's a long weekend? Three days or four days? Three or four days. I'll go up to uh, Denver this fall and spend a couple of days driving through the mountains and doing a little fishing in the streams and hiking and climbing. Yes. Well, you'll be out there for the uh, SOT seminar then, right? Right. I'm teaching out there with a bunch of great doctors. These doctors are really willing to help. I've had... uh, several doctors who have come. I I always let student doctors that are getting ready to graduate come and uh, follow me around the office and teach them as much as I can. So Mm. I I believe that you need to give give as much as you can. And that's why I put stuff on my Facebook page to have doctors learn. I've had doctors from other, like the New Jersey Chiropractic Association. One of the doctors there said he was so happy to see me putting up the videos that i so many doctors have lost the ability to manipulate. They, <laughs> That's a true statement, though. Lost the adjusting techniques, and we need to bring those back. Manual adjusting is what I do. Right. Agreed. So now we're going to switch over just a little more personal questions. Besides chiropractic, do you have any kind of hobbies or things that you do to they volunteer to kind of keep your having a uh, home and work-life balance? Well, I, I go to the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, we have some charitable things that we do through them. And... Uh, I have a girlfriend, and I have a great Dane named Nash. I, I just posted a video on my Facebook page where I'm giving Nash a shower. Oh, <laughs> and I, I was—I actually put up a video where I was playing the playing the guitar, and uh, Nash comes in at the end. So pretty much tied up with the girlfriend and the dog, and do a little fishing, and that's about it. Sounds Play good. some golf once in a while. You actually get to go out and fish, though, or is it a once once or twice a year? I live in this, I live in Lando Lakes, Florida, so there's plenty of places to fish. Don't have to go no, very far, and the Gulf of Mexico is right close by. Oh, yeah. You know redfish? Do you ever fish uh, red, red snapper, I believe it is, or redfish? Well, redfish and red snapper are two different animals. But, yes, I've been redfi- we've been out with redfish. There's several captains. A couple of them are patients of mine, so we charter a boat and go out for a day. And uh, these guys know right where the fish are. Oh, man. I think it's I think it's the redfish saves me having to get buy a boat and go up. Yeah, is the redfish where you just drop a line, reel it back up, and pretty much you caught one? No, well, we put a minnow on and cast it out. You hit a redfish, you're going to be busy for a while, and oh, okay, uh, the good sized redfish will take you a few minutes to bring in. Uh, in the springtime, we take a day and go tarpon fishing down at Boca Grande. Those are big, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I got a hold of one one day that was about 180 pounds, fought it for 45 minutes, almost got it to the boat, and a bull shark came in and destroyed it in a second. Oh, no. Yeah. When we first went out, I was dangling my feet over the edge of the boat. The captain says, I don't think you want to be doing that. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) Yeah, the the hammerheads and the bull sharks are deadly. Wow. That's pretty cool to see, though. I mean, that, that was not the fishing story I was expecting to hear. That's pretty cool, though. Uh, yeah, bring, bringing in a tarpon is a challenge. That's about a 40-minute battle. I don't know if I have it in me. I guess you got to learn how to do that slowly. Uh, you got to be in wild. shape. <laughs> yeah. 
I took a couple of attorneys out one day and one of them hooked into a tarpon about 15 minutes into it. He had to hand off the pole because he couldn't hang on to it anymore. <laughs> it's too much for him. We'll split the guys. We'll just, we'll all take a picture with it. It's a team effort. Ah. Do you happen to have, it's real popular these days to have like a morning routine or a lunch routine. Uh, do you, do you happen to have anything like that that gets you grounded and ready for the rest of the day? Uh, I go to the gym and exercise. Perfect. Do you have a routine like a CrossFit or, or just, you know, your standard machines and cardio equipment? I do. Cardio equipment, weights. Okay. I got, I've got a set of the uh, gravity inversion boots, so I hang upside down. Oh, that feels pretty good. Oh, that's wonderful. Is that 10 minutes a day or do you do longer? Oh, I don't hang. I don't think I hang there for 10 minutes. I oh. think about five to six minutes is plenty for me. Okay. Are those the ones where you're completely upside down or they're kind of the ones where you're like 45 no, degrees? No, I, I hang upside down. Oh, okay. Do some you sit-ups might pass out in, in an inversion minutes. position. Okay. Do you have any favorite books, blogs, or podcasts that you think are definitely worth sharing and for people to read and to change their life? Uh, one of the books I like is uh, Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Classic. There's another one. I can't remember the name of the author right now, but it's The Art of Not Giving Up, F-U-C-K. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, I had an attorney friend of mine turn me on to the Lee Child, Jack Reacher books. Yeah. They, they made a couple of movies about it with Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher. Right. Did you like them? I like the books better. you got to understand that Tom Cruise is really not Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher oh. in the books is 260 pounds of solid muscle, ex-military police. And Tom Cruise is about five foot six. So they needed a rock or something in there. Yeah. And <laughs> then... Of course, I, I read the Game of Game of Thrones books, and uh, I like Michael Crichton. He wrote several books, Sphere and uh, the the uh, Jack Ryan novels. Oh yeah, and uh, he wrote the Jurassic Park series. Oh, that's the same guy. Yeah, Michael Crichton. Wow, Jurassic. Yeah, Park. Yeah, the books are a lot different than the movie. I keep hearing that. I, I just never did, went down that path to read them, but I, I always enjoyed the movie. So the books got to be better, right? That's what they always say. Oh, the say. books are amazing. I get them on Audible. I listen to them while I'm driving. Another Audible guy. We've got a, several guests talking about audiobooks. I really, I really dig it. That's, the, that's a nice way to get things done and, and use your driving commute time wisely, huh? Yeah, I've, I've been going through the uh, – you ever heard of Michio Kaku? No. M-I-C-H-I-O-K-A-K-U, Michio Kaku. He's got some books. He's got the uh, – a book about the mind. Okay. And uh, he's also got a book called Parallel Parallel Worlds or Parallel Universes. He's a theoretical physicist. Mm. His his big thing is string theory and M theory. That very above my pay grade. Very very heavy reads. And this is what you listen to for fun. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get smarter as I get older. Well, I commend you for that. I've heard that's some very tough topics right there. <laughs> I'm the the physics. He goes in in the parallel worlds. He goes into the history of physics and ah. goes all the way back even before Einstein and, and talks about all the theories and how they've developed over the years and all the people that have made contributions to uh, theoretical physics and nuclear physics and the understanding of parallel universes. They say there's up to 23 different possibilities of universes or parallel dimensions that can exist. And uh, it gets... Pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, I'm already kind of, uh, I'm already getting confused. <laughs> I, I, I like, I have to turn it off after, you know, an hour or so. I have to turn it off because I just 
scratch my head and go, I'm not sure I understand what he's talking about. <laughs> it's like you can get so into it to where you're just trying to remember the definition of what they were saying two hours ago. And you're like, all right, I don't, I need to go back because that's compounding onto this theory. And now I'm lost, completely lost. Well, his, his book on the mind, uh, he talks about how they're doing brain mapping and implants in the brain. And, you know, he talks about the future, what, what mankind's going to be like in the future. And, you know, will, will we be partially or perhaps predominantly bionic? Uh-huh. Will they be able to take your intelligence and put it onto a computer and put it into an Android somewhere in the future. Who knows? Wow. That is Someday we may, we may be the Borg. Watch out. <laughs> well, do you, do you happen to have any um, final thoughts or words of wisdom that you want to leave for our guest today? Uh, if you haven't been to a chiropractor, find an SOT chiropractor, somebody who knows craniopathy and CMRT techniques, and try that especially if you've been to chiropractors before and have not been satisfied with your results. Uh, otherwise, I believe that even the worst chiropractic is better than no chiropractic at all. Very good. Get adjusted. Get adjusted. Hashtag get adjusted. Dr. Maddock, we want to thank you for, for your time today and educating us on SOT, on veterinary chiropractic, and, and everything else that we talked about. We uh, really appreciate your time, and um, we'll definitely put all in the show notes, episode 34 and we'll have everything, uh, a lot of the resources that you talked about today will be, will be on there for, for quick access for people. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope everybody learned something today. I didn't know what a contact reflex analysis was. It was a nice refresher for me about the pelvic misalignments and the different categories uh, from what I learned from the past doctor and to what he had said today. Good luck with the isocranial book that you were talking about. And there are definitely websites available for veterinary chiropractic. If you need somebody in your area, just Google that and you should be able to find the VUM technique. And I believe there's another one. All right. Again, show notes, doctorsperspective.net slash three, four. Travel tips coming up next. Somebody was asking me the other day, they said, I'm 30 pounds overweight, which is more than what it used to be. I've got no motivation to go to the gym, but I know I need to do something. And I told them that's what my book is about. You can't go from eating 3000 calories, dropping them to 18 without some kind of plan. I can help you get there and all the little steps in between. Maybe you can only exercise for five minutes, but start there. Don't feel guilty about it. And then work yourself up to that 30 minute goal that everybody says you should do. That's what the book's about. You can get it at doctorperspective.net slash free ebook, or you can just buy it on Amazon as a paperback or a Kindle. If you notice on our website, we have all these pop-ups where you can get uh, 12 exercises for your neck and low back, core strengthening. We also have stretches for numbness and tingling that are in the arms, feet, hands. I want you to know we have merchandise at a doctorperspective.net slash shop. You know, we've got uh, t-shirts and logo podcast gear that I would be so thankful if you got. Uh, definitely post a picture on social media and, and tag me and I'll give you a uh, shout out. As always, if you look at the top right of the website, we have all the little social media icons. Just pick the ones that you like to use the most. Follow us. Uh, you're going to get quotes from the each week's episode. You know, if you sign up on an email, you'll get all the updates and uh, important announcements. So as always, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you listening. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, I'd be much obliged. Travel tip. As you're well aware, I have advocated to not check your luggage, but recently I have been packing a little heavier than usual, going to Western countries, and then bringing back a couple of souvenirs. So 
I was like, you know what? I don't want to carry this thing around. And there's weight limits sometimes on these planes. So let me just check it. And that way I just carry a nice little bag. I don't have to roll anything around. It's going to be great. Yeah, both times going to New Zealand and Australia, they lost their luggage. Ridiculous. And, uh, you know, they have to mail it back a couple of days later. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Once again, I'm going to have to go back to checking my bag only. Luckily, it's always on the return, so everything there is not quite as urgent as if I was in the country or the city or whatever. Anyway, food for thought. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.